Hello guys and welcome back to another episode of Super Coach Mates. Uh, round three is done and dusted and our first week of head-to-head is over on Super Coach. Um, so we're just going to get straight into it. So first of all, before we get stuck in, we're just going to do a quick recap of our weekend. So um, I'll start with you, Thomas. So how was your weekend? And give us your best and worst player of the week. Um, yeah, I mean, pretty much scored the best. I mean, it wasn't the highest score of the three weeks I've had, but it was definitely the highest score um, of that round out of us. So I'm pretty sure I scored two two twenty, which wasn't too bad, which again half my ranking. Well, not halved it, almost halved it to to fourteen k, which is tracking nicely. Um, I'd say pretty much all the three trades I brought in, so Heaney, Cripps, and Bowie all impressed. So no problems there. Dud of the week, probably. It was probably tough because I didn't really have anyone that shit the bed too much. It probably say Zach Butters when he when he scored a fifty eight, and practically everyone owned him. So um, nothing really went wrong on my end. But we'll flip it over to you guys because I know you guys suffered a little bit with captaincies and things like that. Uh, and Jonas, um, same thing. Just how you went, uh, best player and dud. Yes, scored the two one eight five roughly this week, which put me into. Top 13K, so, so, so weak. At least we're moving up. I think I moved up another 1.5 thousand, so that's all you can really ask for. Um, as for best player, probably Jordan Dawson once again. <laughs> uh, should have been scaled up a bit more, I feel. But, Don't know how he wasn't. Yeah. Other, otherwise, as for a player who let me down, he wasn't on my field, but I was hoping he'd make a bit more cash gen, but that's probably dried up now with a 23, and that's Dylan Stevens. So hopefully he retains his spot and can uh, reignite some cash generation. How about you, Nathan? Yeah, he definitely needs to. Well, I actually thought I did okay this way, but I've actually scored the lowest. So I only got 2-1-2-4. My best player of the week, uh, hard to go past Stephen Canelio. Uh, getting 149 at $260,000 is a just a masterpiece. And if you don't know him, I don't know what you've been doing. Uh, Dud of the week, uh, Jack McRae. I'm going to knock him. I know he's X-Factor player. Only scored the 92. Had the vice captaincy on him. Um, and obviously, I think we're going to have a chat about him at some point. But I will give another dud to... I'm, I'm Zach Butters only got the 58, which was disappointing, but I'm not going to go out on him. I'm going to blame his bloody teammate, Sam Power Pepper, who literally cleaned him up after he won the ball and cleaned him up in the first quarter. And basically, I think he was on about 20 at half time. So he did yeah, quite well yeah. to get to 58. So, that um, Sam, don't be running into your own teammates, honestly. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think we had a few, we had a few, yeah. a few people message me about what, what was going on with Butters, but yeah, he got cleaned up, so nothing to he worry got, about there. Sam Powell Pepper absolutely lined him up, and instead of taking out, I don't know who it was, the Adelaide play, he took out um, Butters <laughs> yeah. and cost everyone else. So anyway, so we're just going to get stuck into our agenda now. Um, so someone who these two don't have, which they would have been happy this week to not have him, uh, is Jack McRae, who only got the 92, as we said, and more concerningly, he spent 
when the game was sort of on the line, he went out on the wing and only got two centre bounce attendances in the fourth quarter. Um, do we think this is a concern going forward, Thomas, that there's just so many options in that Bulldogs <clears throat> midfield that this might happen with someone like a McRae from time to time? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I want to say this was the excuse I didn't bring him in, but the excuse is because I'm a St Kilda supporter and I wanted to steal. That's pretty much the answer, but... Um, yeah, it's a bit, I wouldn't say it's a huge concern. It might be a little bit of a concern considering that they did so well against Sydney. And I don't know if that's a correlation to wing, uh, McRae moving into a wing and maybe Trelaw more on ball uh, with Liberatore and Dunkley. Um, a bit more of grunt in there. And, and you got class on the outside with McRae's one of the best kicks in their team. Um, but as I said, I think it's also a correlation with Sydney also not leaking as many midfield points opposition. You just have to go and look uh, when they played the Cats the week before. Dangerfield barely scored as well. So it's kind of hard to tell. Um, you're only looking at a one-game sample size when McRae spent on a wing. So it'd be a lot more interesting if it was a similar scenario and he scored maybe, a, say, a 100 to 110 next week. Then you might be a little bit concerned. But he's so consistent if that's his floor then I wouldn't be too concerned at all. So I'd, I'd owners, I wouldn't worry about it, but just for non-owners like myself and Jonas, uh, makes it a little bit easier to bring him in, I guess, in a couple of weeks' time when, when he's got that um, still in his price cycle. Yeah, and uh, someone else who's doing the opposite to Jack McRae and he's scoring off the charts is uh, Tim English, who's always been an enigmatic player, I guess. Uh, he's had his problems with Luke Beveridge, who hasn't probably trusted him, but I think this is finally his breakout season. And uh, 152, so I think he now would be just about the highest scoring forward after three rounds. Um, is he now a must-have, and would you consider getting rid of Max Gorn if you had him to get in Tim English? Uh, Jonas? Um... He's a must-have in the sense that if you have an underperforming player like Marshall or Gorn, you trade to them if that's what you want to do. But I think at the moment you should be conserving trades. Like I wouldn't be trading out a Grundy, for instance, to try and reach um, Tim English or a Butters or someone like that. So it's only a viable option and pick if you've got someone who you know is going to sky or plummet in price and you want to pick English up who I think will definitely be a top six forward but I'm not sure if he can keep up this sort of scoring for the whole season against some of the established Ruckman so one that's a pretty good pick and should make some money I'm just not sure exactly what his floor is when Martin comes in. So that sort of concerns me a bit, which makes him not a must-have. Yeah, and I just, I'm just i on here now. He is currently the highest scoring forward after round three. So he's definitely yeah. in a rare vein of form, Tim English. So um, I think if you're looking for a premium ruck forward, I think he's probably the way to go. Um, So uh, we're going to move on to Nick Blakey now. Um, who scored 96 on the weekend and has a low score of 79. Um, is this guy a genuine option down back as a cheaper primo? Um, and what does he do with Justin McInerney in the side? Well, I'm going to throw this to Thomas straight away because Thomas was a ex-McInerney earner and <laughs> cost him. And he's been, you've been sort of 
hyping up Nick Blakey off camera. So what what do you think about Blakey as a bit of a <clears throat> budget premium, uh, Thomas? Um, yeah, I mean, basically, if the listeners weren't aware that I had McInerney in round one, Blakey was not the other option or one of the three options I was uh, pondering, which obviously Blakey would have um, allowed me to facilitate some other moves, which wouldn't have been too bad. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting one because I think Longmuir's trust him off that half-back flank to allow him to, to roam up and down pretty freely. Like, yeah, I think it gives him license to basically just get the ball and run and kick it forward, which is obviously is quite super coach friendly. Um, I do have my doubts when McInerney comes back into that side because McInerney, I think essentially what Blakey did against the Dogs is pretty much what McInerney is going to do. Um, McInerney, I think, is a bit more better by foot uh, and is a bit more elite foot skills. Having said that, I, I think both of them might do quite well off the, off the half-backs moving into the wings. But it's one of those things where... You know, if you have him, then well done, because obviously you've gained a pretty good player and he's obviously gone up in price. The one doubt I have on him, obviously, as well, is his scoring potential. I don't know if he's got the potential to move into the 100s to 110s like a Hewitt. Like, for example, we'll talk about Hewitt later, but he was on like 35 at half time and basically ended up on 111, so a 70-point turnaround. So it seems like Blakey doesn't really have the scoring potential to push for that. So I wouldn't necessarily say he's a keeper by any means, but he's still going to make some good cash. But I'd, I'd, I'd want to see um, with McInerney on the side what exactly happens with Lloyd as well and, and how the structure works there. Because definitely when all three are in the side, um, Matt, uh, Blakey's probably the, the lowest score out of the three. But having said that, Blakey and McInerney did uh, top score in their aiming match and, and Lloyd was in that side. So... Yeah, it's tough to say, but I would say if you've missed the boat on him, I definitely wouldn't be moving anyone to bring him in unless you've got some serious problems down back that you need to bring in a cheaper player that could score for you. But I definitely wouldn't bring him in, um, say, from McCartan, for example, if you're still looking for an upgrade and he's your only option for sure. Yep, and uh, someone else who you sort of perhaps had a bit of a quieter game was Isaac Heaney, um, who we touched on last week as being a must-have in the forward line, um, only scored the 88 uh, against the Bulldogs. And a big part of his scoring was I think he scored eight goals in the first two weeks and he only scored one goal on the weekend. Um, so where does this leave us with Isaac Heaney going forward, um, Joan? Is he still a must-have um, or does this sort of concern you a bit that he's only scored 80 with only one goal? Um. I think he's a pretty good option based on his fixture coming up. He's got like North Melbourne and West Coast in the next few. So I'm expecting a few 120s. So he's certainly a good option. And he's probably riskier than Tim English because he's more injury prone and, I mean, a bit more volatile. But I think his best makes him um, one of the best forward options you can have. But with Papley not back this week, He'll still be spending a bit more time forward, which could be actually good this week against North Melbourne. It could mean he kicks a fair few goals. Um, but once again, I'm not going to move um, mountains to pick any. I'm going to conserve my trades and wait until my rookies make enough money before I make moves. And, I mean, I'll have to painfully sit through some good scores, but equally in saying that, he could get injured or score an 80 or a 70 and then sort of hold his cash generation. So there's one where 
I wouldn't I wouldn't go near if you've already got some good forwards and you've reduced some trades. But if you haven't used any trades and you've got some someone in the forward line that's underperforming, he's certainly not not the worst option you can pick. Yeah, well, I think if you listened to our podcast last week, I think the same answer he still applies with. I think if you've got Dunkley and Butters, um, I think you can afford to leave Isaac and just get him at the right moment. But if you've only got one of them, um, I think you probably should think about bringing one of them in. Um, all right, so we're going to talk about uh, so Jake Bowie, uh, 80... Nine, and obviously he's someone who's really benefited from Christian Salem not being in there. I know, Thomas, you actually own Jack Bowie, I think, don't you? Yeah. Um, so no, what do you cool. think? What 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 do you think about Bowie long term, or are you is he going to be in your side just for a little bit of cash generation to get up to someone yeah. else? Yeah, I mean, it was a last minute decision. Uh, literally like an hour before the game, I decided to pull out Shitfield. Um, and bringing Bowie, uh, save me 100k, allows me to, to pull a few things this week if I feel like it or, or save the 100k in the bank for another week. Um, definitely impressed me. Obviously, the first time I've watched him uh, up, not up close, not being live, but but paying, paying a bit more attention to see how he went. He definitely was a little bit concerning at times because it, it definitely seemed that um, he wasn't getting too much of the pill. But he definitely grew to the game. And one thing I definitely noticed, I'm just going to drag up the stats here um, on fan footy, but he definitely got, um, he was very, you know, economical with the points per per possession. So he only had 13, 18 disposals, seven marks, three tackles, and he went 83% by foot, which is not too bad at all. And at one point it was 100% by foot. So, He's very effective by, by the kick. He's definitely a very lethal kick. Um, and I was talking to a mate off air, uh, not obviously you two, but, but someone else who was watching it as a Bowie owner himself. And he was quite impressed. And, and he mentioned that he could be 100-plus score, as as we mentioned here, that he wasn't stuck on the bench about 10 minutes in that last quarter. He started on the bench. Um, so it's one of those things where, yeah, I'm definitely happy to own him. I think if you don't own him, it could probably this is your last chance to get him if you if you Maybe feel like it, but but I want it's one of those things where he's pretty pretty good off pretty good on the ball, um and he's still taking that Salem role for a while now. Salem's still out for a few more weeks at least, um so it's definitely I think pretty confident he'll make to 400k, which makes it a real easy swap to a primo at that stage, and hopefully the likes of Aaron Hall might dip now with his shit score on the weekend. Um, so he's definitely one that I think. If you didn't, you probably missed out on maybe a bit of a cash gem, but it's not break the break the glass at the moment at all, and, and you need to bring him in this week. But he's definitely quite impressive. Uh, he, he passed the eye test on all accounts, and he's, he's one I'm happy to have on my side at the moment. Yeah, we've just got his stats up here now. So 83% with his disposal efficiency and 82% time on, on ground. I guess the only problem with him might be what, what does he do once Salem comes back in? Um, but he probably shouldn't be in your side once Salem's yeah, back well, in. Yeah, hopefully, mate, he's, gonna... he's above 400k by then, and he, you can easily side swap to a primo that's fallen, yeah. I guess. So going back to the slides, so someone who I think someone had on, I definitely had this guy for most of my preseason. Uh, fortunately, I had to get rid of him for 
money and structure was uh, Clayton Oliver, um, who's flying at the minute, another 146. Um, is this someone who everyone's missed out on, or is this a case of simply just being squeezed out by better options, um, Jonas? Um, I wouldn't consider him a better option than, say, Turk Miller or Jack McRae. It's just the fact that Miller literally got double tagged. So I'd like to see in two weeks when Oliver comes ac- across DeBoer and Ash what he puts out and see if he can actually over- overtake Miller's 76. That would be interesting. Um, so I I don't really regret bringing in Tuke Miller over Oliver. He's had some pretty easy victories and he's scored well, yes, but he hasn't really faced much stern opposition. So in two weeks, I look forward to his price dipping a bit and then being able to pick him up. Um, I mean, it's almost good that Miller has his poor score now and then his price can rise again before upgrade season properly begins because he was 140, 140, and then the tag, or the double tag, whereas Oliver scored 146 against Essendon. I mean, Neil scored 200, so it's not really that indicative of him being, say, better than a Tuke Miller or a Jack McRae. Um, but nonetheless, a really good option and one that you can certainly pick up but I'd be waiting until he's played GWS in round five before I'd go near him because he is a bit more volatile in the sense that he can score under 100 here and there more frequently than a few of the other um, mid-primos. Yeah, so I'm just on here now. So just speaking about... uh, So the top eight midfield so far is very, very interesting. Um, So I've got Lockie Neal at one and then Boak... Tom Green, Patrick Cripps, Andrew Brayshaw, Ben Keyes, Christian Petrarca, and then Clayton Oliver's at eight. So right now he's in the top eight. Um, and then there's a few other names. So McRae's nine, who at 10, Miller 11, Dunkley 12. So it's definitely a bit of a different makeup this stage in the top eight. Um, but I definitely think Oliver will be up there um, come the end of the season. Um so, um, so Nick Martin, so he came out of the blue, scored like 120 on debut, and he backed it up with another 71, which for a $102,000 forward isn't the worst result. Um, and I think he actually has the lowest break even this week. I think it's like negative 140-something ridiculous. Uh, yeah, negative 124. Um is this guy a genuine option at F6, which is actually what I did this weekend? Um, I actually put him at F6 and moved Rochelle and Koenig, the Koning off. Um, to, to, um, I've put this one to you, Jonas. What, what do you think about Nick Martin at F6 at the minute? Yeah, um, he's certainly safer than Rochelle. I wasn't too... I also fielded him over Rochelle because of the, the amount of possessions he got in round one. And he was able to back that up with a solid 70. With Rochelle, I wasn't sure against Port Adelaide how he would go. And, I mean, he probably should have gotten a score of 50 in the end, which still would have – he still would have lost out. But um, I'd rather be fielding rookies who, are, who aren't reliant on scoring goals and having clutch moments, but rather just cover the ground well and pick pick up possessions along the way and – or a safe like 70 score at least, which is what Nick Martin is, whereas 
there's a lot more um, ambiguity with what sort of score you're going to get with um, Rochelle. It could be a 95 or it could be, as you saw this week, a 35. So unless Rochelle is playing a really easy team, um, I'd be fielding Nick Martin. And this week I'd still be fielding Nick Martin because he's playing Rochelle's team. But I think Adelaide are a pretty easy team to score upon. So I'd be um, leaning in favour of fielding him again. Yeah, uh, I think I'm going to put Martin, leave Martin at F6. Um, so someone else who um, did well was Jordan Ridley, who I think's given some players and some coaches a few headaches over the first couple of weeks, but he got 115 on the weekend. Um, is this what we can expect from his scoring going forward, or is this just a case of um, the scoring while well, Zach Merritt's out, um, Thomas? Um, it could have a slight correlation. I think it, it might be, but he definitely dominated against Melbourne. Uh, definitely looked like his old self, rebounded everything, intercept marks galore. The only concern is, I think, I watched that game pretty close. I had it on the TV Friday night, um, and I was a little bit disappointed. Obviously, not on Ridley, on it, but only a 115 from a, thing, uh, a performance that probably looked like a 140. Probably was it a bit disappointing and just a bit of question marks on his ceiling of what he can do. Um, it was a pretty messy game on both both counts of both teams. I think both defenders. Stephen May also popped out a good super coach score as well. So a good day for intercept markers. Um, just a little bit concerned about his role still. Exactly what that pertains. Obviously, probably I think that probably helps with merit out. Um, I think it really was used as a bit more of a, a further down option. Um, but now I wouldn't be surprised with, with um, Merritt out for eight to ten weeks. It'd be a good, good showing for Ridley, and I think it's good that you st- uh, people get stuck back with him. Just a quick one on Martin. I noticed he was also playing in the back line at times as well. So it's it's one that I think he can flip a bit like Carl Langford, how he can kind of change positions a fair bit in that side, and he's a prolific ball winner, I think. He's, he just knows where the ball is, knows how to get it. It's pretty clean by foot. Had 18 disposals for 71 super coach points. Isn't too bad at all when he got flipped into the forward line late in the game and didn't do much. But, yeah, he can get the ball for sure, and I think he's a very safe option on field. I know I'm in another chat with some other people on, on, on Facebook off there, and, and, that, and they were hyping up Martin pretty well. So I think he's a pretty safe safe option on field, much better than Rochelle for sure. Yep, and uh, of course we've got Jonas's love child in here, so we'll, we'll have to throw this question to him. Uh, so Dawson finally got moved back into the back line. Uh, top score with 123. I think we all said off camera this should have been about 130. Um, interestingly, he ran like 50 metres to go and take the final kick, and I think Joshua Shelley wanted to take the final kick, so I definitely think that Nix was happier that Dawson took the kick. <laughs> um, but are we, is this a week where we're all going to jump on the Dawson um, train with you, Jonas, or is this, or this role still too volatile? Um, I think the role's volatile, but he has... <clears throat> A lot of scoring outlets. Like, he takes kick-ins. He's kicked a goal, at least, in every game. He plays on the wing a bit, and he's just got a really good kick. So his scoring avenues are certainly there, unlike, say, Ridley, who relies on intercepts and just kick-ins primarily. Um, Dawson gets his points all over the field. 
As for a must trade in target this week, I don't think so because he's got a high highish break even at 103, and he's one or 102 actually. He's one that should be um, top six defender, but probably one that you don't need to trade in at the moment because there'd be better value options down the line and players that are going to either skyrocket in price or once you pick them up, or players like, for instance, Callum Mills, Marcus Bontempelli, who will be low 600s and even um, high 500s in a few weeks that I'd rather be um, anticipating for because I think in the long run they should be scoring more than Dawson. I think you can pick Dawson up at around this price at a later stage in the year, which means he, he's not really a must trade in for this week. Yeah, and I just um, it's interesting to note that uh, Thomas's man Dan Houston's actually exactly the same uh, total points as Dawson at the minute. So there's two uh there's two uh boom plays for you. Um, so someone who I'd mentioned just before as being I think a top two midfielder is uh, Travis Boak. Uh, Thomas, can he keep up this incredible start to the season where he's averaging I think it's like a hundred and 46. Is that sustainable or or is he going to come back down to the pack? I know last year he started like this and I think he only ended up with about 115 average. So is that more realistic or can he genuinely keep up this sort of 140 plus scoring? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's sustainable. You just have to look at with the likes of Haney score averaging 140 in the first two rounds. Um, Cripps averaging crazy numbers and he dropped off a little bit. But Boak, yeah, started the house on fire in the first three rounds as well. So last year he scored 160 against the Roos, 120 against the Bombers, and, and 104 against Eagles and dropped right off. Um, obviously, this year is pretty nuts. Like, lowest 4133 is insane um, numbers. Apparently, he's fitter than ever. So who knows? It's one that I think if you're brave enough, you probably would have maybe jumped on last week after seeing two ridiculous scores. But I think. You're definitely chasing points if you pick him up now um, because he would have had his price rise and jumped up significantly in the 600. So you may as well wait until the likes of McRae, Steele and Millen if you haven't picked up one of those guys, pick him up rather than both. But it's definitely one that if you had the balls and picked him up last week, props to you because he looks incredible. Um, looks even fitter than the last season. And the way Port started, I think that the confidence thing in picking him is, is Port have started so poorly. So if he's... If, He's playing the losing side and scoring that well. I mean, who knows when, when they're up and about and winning a few games. So he's one that I don't think has trade bait. He's very similar to Miller, where he's incredibly fit. I think they go to Ollie Wines instead of both. And both um, has genuine goal threat as well, can, can can kick the scoreboard, and he's similar to Steele, where he can tackle. So he's one I think that it's almost like you've got to pull the trigger if you want him, and it's going to be a definite point of difference. And if, if he keeps his scoring up, even for the next couple of rounds, you'll be laughing. Um, but he's one that I think too many people are worried about picking him just because, you know, if you pick him and use a midfield spot, then if it doesn't quite work out, then you have to sideways and then by then you've lost a few points there, unfortunately. So it's one that if you had the balls, go for it, but I would, probably wouldn't recommend it just because I think his best three scores have gone past him. But who knows? If he keeps it up, then you, you look like you've got a in your face if you didn't pick him. Yep, and uh, just a final point here on Port Adelaide. So Jackson Mead. So is this someone who we missed out on? Um, I would love to have my time back again and get him in instead of Josh Ward, um, who I hope we're going to talk about at some point. Um, but is Jackson Mead 
someone who I think most people missed out on, Jonas? Um, I mean, in round two, he, he was the sub and scored 18. So, I mean, yes, he had a good game this week. And he'll probably um, make... His break is minus three. Sorry? His break is minus three. Yeah, so... I don't know. He's one where I wouldn't sideways award to get him in, for instance. But, like, I'm much um, happier that I've picked McDonald, who's got a break-even of minus 14 over over Mead, because Port's team is pretty strong. But he, he didn't put a foot wrong and should make some good money. But the fact he was on the fringe of the best 22 at the start of the year and then that was shown by the fact that he was the sub in round two means you can't really predict that. Like, yeah, he had a good week. But in saying that, Josh Ward could come out this week and score 85, and then his cash gen is sparked up again. So, ah, uh, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be. I don't. You're only trading to meet if you think he's going to make 150 thousand more than the person you're trading out. And I don't think he's going to be making 150000 more than any other rookie unless it's a loophole such as Owens, in which instance I'd probably just hold and use as a, as a, a VCC loophole given how um, uncertain some of the captaincy options are these days. Yep, I think that's fair. So I wasn't considering trading out Josh Ward. I just um, highlighted, I think, me just... Yeah looking like a better pick at this stage given that where Mead started and where Ward started. But um so I think is it this is Tim Taranto, yeah, isn't it? Is is that Tim Taranto? Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, I thought it was so sorry, sorry about that. That's my IQ knowledge on the Giants. So uh low score of eighty eight. Um is Tim Taranto worth bringing in as a point of difference player with Green returning soon uh jonas i might put this one to you what is what do you think about taranto he's one who's probably a bit more durable than heaney and he's consistent he's got the runs on the board but uh it's a tough question because who are you you're, you're taking him over what? You're not taking him over a Dunkley. You're not taking him over a um, English or a Butters necessarily. Maybe you can make an argument for Butters, but not Heaney, English or Dunkley. And if you've got those three, I don't know why you'd be bringing in a fourth premium forward at this stage. I'd be looking at more value in other lines. So... um. He's a bit of a butcher as well, so he'll, he'll score 70 eventually and then wait a few weeks and then bring him in. So I think um, you also want to see proof that he's playing more midfield when Toby Green does return before pulling the trigger. So, no, I'd be waiting on Taranto. Have have we actually already got a fourth premium for it? Can, can we consider Stephen Cornelio to be one? Yeah, uh, yeah, he we, is one. Yeah, I'd take it. Cogs will be... I think top six forward at this point. So, do we need Taranto then, or is that just, or, no, or no. we're just gonna stick with Canelo? Because like right now, Canelo's F three for me. If we bring in Heaney or English, and Canelo goes to F four, um, and then you're pretty much set there if you've got another couple of good rookies next to him. So, yeah, like, I think to 
it means you're missing out on Seri or Brody. You can't be fielding all of them so early on. So I'd be looking at a midfielder and then trying to bench, say, a Ward or a Stevens. If yeah. I'm at M8. Yeah, so you, can swing, you can swing Taranto into the midfield, but there are better options in the midfields in the next coming weeks. Well, you yeah, just have to look at, um, just quickly, I, I've got the stats up with Taranto. Like, he scored 112, which on paper looks impressive. But if I told you guys that he had 37, 36 disposals, three marks, eight tackles, one goal, you'd probably be expecting close to 150. Um, yeah, and the reason would. he scored one. 112, even though he had six clearances, he had 12 claims and was going at 63%, which is probably normal normal for Toronto standards, unfortunately. So, And he's always been known to be pretty terrible by foot. So he's one of the things that probably holds him back a bit because you're paying probably premium for a score like that, but it's not necessarily the scores, which is, it, which is the issue because you'd be happily taking a 112 from the forward. It's the way he does it. Like, if he's getting 37, 36 disposals, he's not going to get 36 disposals every week. No. So it's like if you got 20 disposals and had 12 clangers, all of a sudden that's probably a 60. Um, so it's one of those things that's always been a hit on Taranto. He's much better in fantasy than, than Supercoach because obviously Supercoach taking it effective kicks and things like that. But if he butchers a ball like that, you definitely have a bit of a concern with him. When you've got Cogs, who's scored 150 off not doing much more. Um, at a lot cheaper price for sure. Yeah, so obviously uh, for you two, obviously you two would have been distressing Tuk Miller basically getting double tagged, um, and it allowed my mate Matt Rowe to just go around and gather the ball at will, pretty much. Um, is this a concern if Tuk Miller's going to get double tagged, or is this just simply the fact that the Giants have two really strong taggers and they just thought that Tuk was that good? that they just sent them both to him. Um, since you both got him, I'll, I'll let one of you answer. Um, yeah, I can start off. Jonas can add anything if, if he wants to add anything. I think Jonas had him as captain, which I was pretty happy with when I saw that and then saw it took getting tagged pretty early on by Lockie Ash. So I think DeBoer's just a useless footballer that they need to put him on and Miller. Um, so I think they struggled to, to find a position for him and, I guess it worked quite effectively, but if you're being double tagged and scored a 76 still, it's not the end of the world. I think GWS is probably the only team that's that's dumb enough to put a double tag on. Um, but it, it worked. It clearly worked. But I can't see that many other teams doing that just structure-wise. doesn't really add up. Um, but I wouldn't be too concerned. Maybe if, say, next week another team tags him and it gets the exact same output, you might be slightly concerned on how Miller can take a tag. But Miller's so fit that um, you need two, two, two taggers to, to be rotating to, to keep him at bay. So it's definitely not panic stations. Um, you know, Lockie Neal had the same concern. Obviously, you know, we'll, we'll touch on we'll touch on Brizzy later on. But, um, yeah, definitely not a concern for Took being, being tagged over the game. Yeah, and uh, Tom Green right now I think is the fifth highest midfielder Um so he scores 164, 106, and 147. Um, always been a prodigious talent, Tom Green. I think he was a top 10 draft pick and came through the Giants Academy. Um, is this his year where he can finally burst up into sort of maybe not top eight? I think that's maybe a bit unrealistic, but maybe top sort of top 15 midfielders. And is there any concern when 
when or if Toronto comes back into that midfielder, they might eat into Tom Green scoring a bit. Um, Jonas? Um, yeah, I don't think he's going to be make top eight. So I think you've missed the boat on him and he scores. So I wouldn't be chasing points. He's also gone on the end of a few goals, which which show that he can play forward at times. And if Toby Green's coming in, I mean, that means he may get more mid-time. But then in saying that, simultaneously, they're going to need to give Toronto a bit more mid-time. So I think he he's a great contested player, but he's one where I wouldn't now go picking um, just because he's now raised in price. He's not probably going to be top eight. He'll be keeper, but at that price, you're probably looking at players now who are going to be top eight. And the fact he can play a bit forward, what happens when the Giants get decimated one day and he doesn't go so well? So I'm not too sure on the pick. I think good job if you started him, but um, I'd still be picking, say, if you're tossing up between him and Cripps, I'd still be picking Cripps at the moment. Yeah, I was just about to say, I think Patrick Cripps is 16k more expensive and I think I'd be safe for picking, picking Cripps yeah. um, over Tom Green. Um, so, uh, Pat Lipinski, so another 100-plus score. Um, is he still a viable option um, to bring in if you're on the uh, Jared Berry train um, or an underperforming rookie. Um, Thomas, I'm going to ask you this because I know you, I think you were someone who was uh, sort of interested in Lipinski um, a few weeks ago. So what are, you, are you still keen on Pat or is he a bit high now in price? Um, I think he's, how much is he? I think 350k still. So he's not, not out of the realms of, of um, getting He's 408. Oh, okay, yeah. Guys, oh, yeah, he's he's definitely still mid price territory. Um he's one that I'm tempted to bring him in. Um I have the funds to go straight up to him from Barry, but whether or not it is another question. Um I think I play West you guys play West Coast this yes, weekend, so I can see him correct. going quite big. Um and he's one that definitely impressed me after a disappointing eighty six last week, which wasn't disappointing for a score, but to bounce back into Geelong, who's a pretty tough midfield to score against. He scored 106. Uh, he's definitely got the mid mid role. I don't think he's been pushed out of there in any any regards. He's pretty much that one player that basically stays there alongside Taylor Adams all the time. I, I, you guys are kind of less poised, so you can go into more detail when you talk about Jack Crisp as well. So he's one that I'm definitely interested in because I could see him scoring, you know, pretty well 90s to 100s. Obviously, you want that to be kind of one tens plus, but I'm also in that other camp and you probably missed the boat if you're paying 400k from all of a sudden now because at that 400k price, you're looking at a pod and, and, a, and a keeper rather than a stepping stone. So he's one that realistically I probably miss out on, um, but he's one that I would be against if you brought him in thinking that he's going to continue to scoring 105 plus. Yep, and uh, obviously on the left here, Jack Crisp, another. I wouldn't say underwhelming, but definitely not pretend, not definitely not where definitely not what he's capable of scoring. Um is this a concern going forward? And um is there a correlation between his role and his scoring? Because I think he played more off half back against 
Um, against who do we play in round two? Adelaide, he played more of halfback in round two and he scored 100 plus and he went sort of back to that more midfield rally and he scored 85. So what do you think about Chris, uh, Jack, um, Jonas, given that you're a Collingwood supporter as well? Yeah, I don't know why we persist with him in the midfield. He's clearly better down back. I think he was playing midfield in the fourth quarter when we got smashed. And when we kicked those nine goals in the third, he wasn't really spending much time in the midfield. So, I don't know, maybe McRae can do the, the maths on that one. But I think he's durable and he's one where you just hold. You don't trade and you don't trade him in. Um, I think he's probably going to go anywhere between 90 and 100 for the rest of the year. And that's just okay. It's not worth burning a trade on to... Um, go up to a hall, for instance, because at least you're getting safety and durability with this guy. And who knows, maybe he might move back down back and start scoring over 100. Yep, I think that's probably pretty fair as well. Um, so Jared Berry, so this is going to frustrate. I think you've both got Jared Berry here. So he's on 55 a half time. I remember you two were very, very excited in a group chat. Uh, that we've got that is on 55 and he only ended up with 83 um which at his price is a it's okay at his price but it's not really what you want him in now for so um i'll chuck this to you thomas is it time to get rid of barry um uh, or is there some merit in keeping him um it's yeah an interesting one because as I said, I was pretty happy with this score. I think Jonas, you traded him in the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was the only one that ended up having him, unfortunately. But, yeah, he looked pretty good. I mean, the reason I held him was because he was playing North and, and uh, as as predicted, Brisbane smacked him. So kind of happy he was at 35 quarter time, 55 at half time. I think he got reported for a pretty, you know, um, uh, soft tap. I'm a stomach to laugh. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. Um, and he got reported for that. So I think, I don't know if that scared him off his game a little bit to try and not get um, any more shit from the umpires. But it's one of those things where playing Geelong and Geelong's not the best team to score against. So I don't know how that will go. But he's one that I wouldn't be against trading. He's someone that I'm thinking of trading myself um, if I decide to do true trades or, or side swap to Brody or something like that. But, yeah, there is a bit of concern there. Just with the, the fade-outs and scoring, like he had the same issue round one where he scored really well in the first half and completely died off. Obviously, had a bit of a shoulder injury. That's why. Round two, similar thing, kind of didn't really do much and got to a 76. Um, so I think his ceiling is a problem. He was one that probably a few people got sucked in with the hype of pre-season where he dominated and got 150s. So it's one of those things where I think – Maybe because he played wing during pre-season and the ball just was so much more uncontested so he get a lot of cheap possessions. Um, where it's come to round one, it's a lot more congested in the middle that he really can't get into the outside where Barry can play. So I think for him, at 83, I'd definitely take for that round, but it could have been so much higher, unfortunately, um, with how badly North played as well. Yes, and I noticed the next guy here. Um, so I know I spoke about this guy last week and I kind of put the moz on him. Um, I think you two were spooking him up and I said he doesn't mind throwing out a 60 or a 70. Well, <laughs> surprise, surprise, Eddie comes with a 70. 
Um, so if you got rid of Whitfield and got in Hall, um, obviously Whitfield actually put, did half decent to get 96. Um, so obviously if you did that trade, that's a disaster. Um, well, at least this week it is. Um, but uh, Jonas, is his score of 70 only a blip on the radar for Aaron Hall? Or is this something that we can perhaps expect him to throw in every now and again going forward, which might put him off being a bit of a good pickup. Uh, the fact he scored 70 wasn't even his fault. I think it's the nature oh, of the here game. We go. And the fact that um, Brisbane annihilated them. You look at the other mid, uh, the other defenders, Zeebel 62, and even bloody Luke McDonald um, had a 28. So... I think that shows that the points weren't there for Hall. I didn't watch much of the game, um, but I think Brisbane just were all over. The North Melbourne were just a complete rabble, and I don't think Hall had much opportunity to get a lot of the ball and actually distribute it to someone who was in space. I think Tom was saying he had a few clangers, and a lot of the effective kicks he did get were when the game was was out of reach. And so stuff yeah. like that, that's not going to occur every week where North are losing by 100 points. So, yeah, it's it's one of those games where you can't even really blame Hall because the players around him didn't give you much opportunity to score well. I will blame him, though, for one goal, which I did see a video of on the AFL website, and he's he's basically let... Um, Jared Lyons just run around him on the mark from 40 out straight in front because he was arguing with a teammate. So um, I don't think he, I don't think that's normally what he does. But the fact that he's done that is a little bit, uh, is a little bit concerning because if things aren't going well, is he just going to do this again? Um, and while we're on North Melbourne, I will give another shout out to uh, Tristan Zeri who got another 81. Um, so I, I definitely think he is so far probably the best rookie out of all of them, um, given his scoring and given his price. Um, I think he's definitely the best one um, so far for, for a rookie. Um, so Sam Walsh, um, Ward back 124. Um, can, we bring him, can we bring him in early and get ahead of the pack or should we wait for his price to drop? Um, Thomas? Um, probably wait and see with with Walshy. He's he got the luxury of holding another week before his price rises. Um, but who knows? You go early and really make some ground if he scores a one fifty or something like that. He's one. He's a prolific ball winner. Um, it seems to definitely. I think now he's got his second game back. Um, from injury definitely helps, and he definitely. Didn't look like it was slowing down. Obviously, Hawthorne's midfield's probably not the best going around the competition. But I think the likes of Chero, Hewitt and Cripps definitely help him. And 124 is quite impressive. Um, and I don't think he had a heap of it. So it's not like it was the Taranto-esque thing where he just didn't get much. He had it's looking at the stats now, 32 disposals, um, really effective, kind of an even, even stat distribution between kicks and handballs where at times he usually has more handballs and kicks, which kind of hinders his score. Um, but he does have a lot of uncontested stuff. So it's one of those things when you've got Crips all of a sudden standing up, 
Whereas last year, Cripps was nowhere to be seen. So Walsh was 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 obviously a dominating factor. But I think um, we've probably passed the days of Walsh scoring maybe 180s because you've got likes of Hewitt, Kennedy um, and uh, Cherry all going through there and all doing really well at the moment. But he's one that I think is just going to score well naturally because um, you've got a pretty strong midfield around him. Yeah, I'd definitely be holding his break even 163. So I definitely think he's someone you can probably wait a week on. Um, so CJ as a point of difference in defence, obviously a very, very good player, a great intercept marker. Um, can we get him as a point of difference or is his role just too flaky, um, Jonas? No, you can't touch him. And on Doherty... He started well, but I have some question marks on whether he can keep it up. Um, obviously, Saad didn't play. Um, so, I mean, he did score 144 when Saad did play, but with a limited preseason, I have my reservations about how he will pull up come um, the latter stages of the year. So one I'd probably skip on. Yeah, and just speaking of Hawthorne's back line, Pleased to see Sicily got 100-plus with Will Day in the side. So I know Will Day is on his first game back. Um, but I think so far that Sicily pickup so far is proving to be okay. Um, and obviously Sam Doherty, um, we've already heard Jonas. Um, I'll just quickly, I was going to ask you this, Thomas, but um, can you keep this up or is there better options than Doherty? Yeah, I, I don't mind the pick. Um, he seems to be the general down back. He obviously ruined the governor's. Uh, Supercoach output, but um, yes. he's one that yeah scores really well. He's got a really super coach when he role takes a fair few kick outs as well. I think main thing is is whether as as Jonas said, can hold up uh, for the remainder of the season as well. It's a long season. Um, I know he's been through hell and back to play. Um, and he's done so well to get there, and all credit goes to him. He, he scores bloody well um, for a player and, and can to fight cancer and get back on the footy field, but um. It's kind of a wait and see whether he can maintain it, but he's definitely got a very, very super coach friendly role, and it just helps that the Blues are doing really well as well, which yeah, uh, great, is a bonus. Great, great story, um, Doherty. Um, so who's this? Is this Brad? That, that can't be Brad Crouch, is it? Yeah, Brad Crouch. Is that Brad Crouch? Is it? okay? There we yeah. go. Uh, so Brad Crouch, so scores of 112, 96, and 131. Um. Is he gonna be? Is, could he be a point of difference option in the midfield? I know some people were big on him when he first came across. Um, he probably hasn't lived up to the potential, but is he finally starting to show a little bit why St Kilda paid what they did to get him? Uh, Thomas, since you're the Saints man, we'll get you. Yeah. Um. Obviously, I was at the game, which was a bloody good game to watch, and and that was this is the first time that I saw Crouch absolutely tear a game apart. Um. It was much better, much cleaner by foot and hand. And as I put in the in the in the visuals there, I think Gresham and Sinclair definitely helped him a little bit. Um it used to be him stealing say Zach Jones, which made Crouch basically a lot more pressure on him to to do well. Um but I think with Gresham now in the side in particular, he's someone that's really flourished and, and scored nicely. Um and you know he's probably Collingwood and, and Richmond um, and Freer, not the not the three most hardest, you know, um, 
midfields in the comp to, to play against, but he's definitely impressed. He, he, he tore Richmond a new one and scored 131 as deserved. So he's one that, you know, I, I'd say that if you're strapped for cash and he, he continues this rich vein of form and, and St Kilda start to really put some games together and they start putting four quarters together, he's one that, who knows, could be a, a decent pod that you're looking as a cheaper option. But obviously with the midfield, you just want to go with the best and he's probably one step below that when it comes to super coach scoring. He's definitely keeping up with it now. But as I said, this is a three-game sample size. So I, I, I can see him doing very well. Um, maybe if you have him in draft, for example, he's, he's a nice nice player to own for sure. But he's one that I would probably stay away from classic until you're kind of wrapping up your midfields and say injuries have struck and you really need a strong bench and you need cheaper primos on field. Then he's one that you can definitely look at. Yeah, I think I don't think St Kilda actually paid anything for him now that I think about it because I think he came over from free agency. Yeah, it was basically a free agency pick. Yeah, so um, Max King. Um, is he a good option up forward um, with so many volatile options or is he just in the same camp? Um, Jonas, what do you think? Uh, no, he's not an option. He's a key forward. I don't care who you are unless you're Tom Hawkins at a discounted price. You're irrelevant if you're a full forward and you're above like 280k. Yep, I think that's probably pretty fair. And uh, Willie, um, not, not really, Daniel Rioli, um, is he a valid, cheaper option with DPP status? I'm just going to say, I'm just going to throw him the same basket as his, as his cousin. I said last week he was a trap, and I think Daniel Rioli's a trap as well. Um, but what do you think, Thomas? Um... Yeah, he's probably one I wouldn't go to. He's, he's, you probably would have to pick him. He wouldn't have been a bad pick to start off the season. He's had two tons. And for that price, he's, he would have gone ahead of Brody and, and Sherry with regards to scoring. Um, but I think with Richmond uh, decimated in most areas, they just look slow, lethargic. He does provide a fair bit of running carry through the defence, but I think he'll have his low scores of 50s to come when they're really suffering. And I think he's one that's a bit... Uh, susceptible to be moved around a little bit as well when, when things go to push and shove and he's one that could suffer with that. Just quickly on Max King, I think even though you want to stay away with key forwards, here's one that I've now seen, obviously, being a St Kilda supporter and watched three games in a row. He's one that can tear a quarter apart. So he was on about 25 at three quarter time and ended up on 100. So he basically got a 79 point quarter and that's within one sample size. So with King, it's it's one you probably won't pick because of his awkward price. If he was a 100k cheaper and it was 200k, I'd be much more entertained. But he's one that can seriously tear a quarter apart and score 80 points in a quarter just like that. Um, because it seems like a security can get their ball movement into the forward 50 a lot cleaner and through Max King's hands. He's one that's basically unstoppable. He's hot uh, against pretty much any defence you know, defenders have to go two on him. So it's one of those things where with super coach where it kind of falls a little bit apart because teams will start double teaming and things like that. So he's one maybe even next year that you might start as kind of that Tom Hawk and S where he has the ability to score really well because he scores goals and he's so damaging in the air. Yeah, I think these key forwards, there seem to be a time to pick them up and that's sort of when I have a couple of um soft targets, shall we say. Um, I know yeah. a lot of people used to do that with um, Lance Franklin back in the day. He'd sort of score around that 70 or 80 mark, 
and he'd, his price would drop and then he'd come up against like a bottom two side, he'd kick like eight goals, get 180. And then that's people would bring him in, bring him in before he got his 180. Um, and then they just keep him. So if if a key forward can do that, um, I think he's probably not the worst option if he can sort of average around the 90 mark. But it's just so hard to do as a key forward. Um, so. Um, I'm going to put this one to you as well, Thomas, because I don't think you have Will Brody. Um, so scores of 115, 17 and 128. Um, can we pick McGovern this year, given West Coast are just decimated by injury? Um, and does he have a good role? He's got a, he's got a very good role, actually. It's, it seems like I've seen a few West Coast games briefly, but it just seems like everything goes through him because the West Coast defenders are just shit, um, to put it bluntly. They're very young defenders going through there now, and he needs to be the leader down there. He needs to demand the ball now rather than, you know, rely on other defenders to do the dirty work for him. He seems to have picked up the slack a little bit. And Shane and his scoring, like, the other issue is is that the amount of ball that goes through the West Coast defensive line because they're getting pumped each week uh, definitely helps his scoring because he's just going to get the hands on the footy more often. 300 is in a row. It's not three bad hundreds. He's pretty much one of the top scorers in the defence at the moment in the last three rounds because he hasn't dropped below 100 or not even close to dropping below 100. So he's one, unfortunately, that I think because you've got West Coast players coming back, you just can't really pick him. He'll end up becoming a more, you know, one-on-one uh, -on -one defender eventually when, once they get their trips back and, and they'll end up scoring a bit lower. But he's one that it's just because the amount of ball that's going through there, he's scoring all right. Um, so if you might have thought of that round one, it would have been a genius pickup because it, it makes sense on paper that the more ball down there, um, the more ball is going to get. And he's, he's, a, he's a pretty good mark. He's an excellent mark and he's um, a pretty decent kick out. So he's one that you missed the boat. You, you'd be chasing 100% chasing points if you went for him. And he's about 515k. Maybe we say 415k, you'd be looking at him. But yeah, 515k, definitely park. There's other options there. Um, but he's one to keep an eye on because if he keeps this up, who knows what happens. But I guess when, when you don't really know until you've got the full West Coast complement of players coming back in. Yeah, and uh, just finally here, Will Brody. Um, I'm glad that I kept him because um, I think after round one, I think he was sort of a bit on the chopping block. I think he only scored about, like, what did he score in round one? It wasn't that. Oh, no, he got 70. 70, oh, no, I got 76. 75, I think it was. Uh, yeah, 76. Yeah. But at his price, he is sort of wanted around the 80 mark. Um, and he got 90 on the weekend. But 83% um, time on ground, which was always his one knock. So I think his first two games, he was at 60%. Um, is he someone who is becoming a must-have for non-owners? And would you be jumping on him? given that Monday and perhaps Fife are coming back in the next couple of weeks. Um, Jonas? Um, if you've got him, great. If you don't have him, I wouldn't be getting him in because, yeah, Monday and Fife are coming back as well as Sarong. And with those three back, he might he might get dropped still. So I think you're if you're bringing him in now, it's a bit of a risk because... You're you're effectively behind the players who started with him, and then you're hoping for an even better output 
than what he's produced now, considering he's going to have to compete with the likes of some of those midfielders coming back. So I think the ship has sailed on Brody as a trade-in option, given the fact he's risen in price and some of those mids are going to start returning sooner rather than later. And he's probably going to be one of the first players that I'm going to use to upgrade because if his fitness is a concern, that's going to that's going to um, hinder him later on in the year. And also, with some of those players coming back, his bench time could come back. So he's scoring nicely. Hopefully he can pump out a few more 80s before he, he ripens in price and then I trade him out because I think he's going to be one of those players that makes the majority of his cash generation earlier rather than later. Yeah, I'm, I've actually got that same sentiment. I'm actually hoping that Isaac Heaney has another down game um, and then Brody can keep up these 90s for a couple of weeks and Heaney can drop down to sort of around 400k and then I think that's just the ideal swap. That's what I'm hoping for anyway, but time shall tell. Now, um, just looking forward to Heaney, so obviously this year's super coaches are a bit different. Um, so round six, um, we have new DPP players in here. Um, and we'll just pick some players out here who we think might get DPP. So obviously uh, Tristan Zeri, um, we've touched on him as a ruck, picks up the ruck. I mean, at this rate, he'd almost be worth looking at maybe as an R2 or an R3 if you've got him, um, given that I don't think he's going to be dropped from that North Melbourne side anytime soon. Um, uh, um, Angus Brayshaw, um, who's looking like a good option down back. Uh, Jack Sinclair, who I think is looking like a good option in the back line. And Mason Wood up the top there as a midfield forward. Thomas? Yeah, uh, yeah, Mason Wood, mid forward, yeah. Yeah, so all of these guys... Um, are probably in line to get DPP eligibility after round six, but obviously um, we'll, we'll know that for sure probably the week afterwards. The other one who's not on here, but someone who I'm very closely monitoring is Scott Pendlebury for backline DPP. Um, I think right now he's probably top 10 defenders if, if he was a, a eligible as a defender. And I think at his price... I think he's just below 500,000. Um, I think he might be a good option, possibly as a backline. And uh, that's it. That's all the slides. Yeah. So, um, no, it was a, definitely an interesting interesting round for sure. I, I definitely a few low scores in there as well. It was a tough round for, for people that have got, you know, the, the, the classic... Jack McRae, Vice Captain, Lockie Neal Captains. It was a pretty rough round all round. There's definitely a few interesting trade options this week. And I was just looking on Twitter as well. A lot of people seem like they're going to hold trades, but, uh, you know, really depending on teams and whether you want to pull the trigger and really get ahead of the pack. Because it seems like, you know, from now on in, you need to start really being smart about who you trade in um, to, to push ahead in the rankings. But, just a quick look at our – just had a quick look whilst Nathan was finishing off there towards the end. Um, with our group, we've got about, obviously, 100 in there, pretty small in comparison to, to the other to the other podcasts and, and YouTube groups going around. But it's ranked 31st at the moment, which is really good. 
Um, obviously, a small sample size with help, which helps us. But yes. the number one ranked player in our group is actually the number one ranked player overall. So that's oh, a pretty impressive feat at the moment. Um, so we'll give a shout out to the killer, the killer kitties, um, coached by Catherine. So if you're listening, Catherine, um, we'd be more than happy to have you on the podcast to dissect the team and, and see, yeah, see if you can you can hold that number one spot for a while. You definitely jumped up a fair bit with a really nice score of 24-28 this week. So hopefully you can keep it up. But as you said, uh, reach out to us if you want to have a chat on the podcast for sure. But um, until then, we'll uh, you know, either catch you later this week uh, for a Q&A if we get around to it. Or if not, we'll uh, enjoy the week ahead and uh, catch you for, for the round four review.